Our lesson at this hour has to do with a young lady whom we shall call Monita. Monita had been a professing Christian. She really thought she loved the Lord, but the very problems of life were too many for her. She was working for a Christian organization, but it seemed that older people were criticizing her. Oh, friends, those of us who are older, shouldn't we ask the Lord to keep us from criticizing the lambs of the flock? What do you say? May the Lord help us to be kind and sweet and wholesome, you see. Let us not be hard on them. The Lord says, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. But it seemed that the Christians that should have been the most tender-hearted became the most critical. She wasn't living up to every ray of light as they saw it. So they kind of said to her what we've often quoted people as saying, you better sin the way we sin or you better stop sinning. And it broke her heart. And then she made the very, very bad mistake of taking her eyes from Jesus. The Bible says, look unto me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. And friends, when we take our eyes from Jesus, brother, what happens to us? We lose his love, right? When we take our eyes from Jesus, love turns to bitterness, doesn't it? You see? Because if we look to people and we realize that they're not living up to their, to their Christian privileges in being kind, we shall become bitter unless we look to Jesus and realize what he did and what he said on Calvary when they crucified him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I want more and more of that spirit, don't you, brother? Amen. And when people, you know, are, are, are so harsh, so unkind, you see, to just, just be able to say, Lord Jesus, you set the pattern. When they crucified you, you're so gracious. You're so kind. You even remembered your mother. You didn't take the attitude, pity me. So by taking her eyes off of Jesus, she became bitter and she became discouraged. Discouragement is the worst weapon that can come to the human heart. As I look back in my own Christian life, I find the biggest mistakes I've ever made have been under discouragement. What's the use? What's the use? So remember that this is the devil's ace card, discouragement. As she became discouraged, you know, she said in her heart, what is the use? Why should I try to be a Christian? The people who profess to be Christians and have had much more experience than I have, all they're doing is condemning me. Is that Christianity? And brother, is it Christianity? No, it's not. It is not. So she became bitter and she said, as she told us the experience, she said, when I started going down, I went down that pathway of backsliding rapidly. Why, she said, I went so fast and I found myself now at bars. I found myself dancing, drinking, 
And she said, and I don't want to go into all the things that I did. But she said, as I was doing these things, she said, I, I met a young man at one of these dances. We became friends, and we began to keep company, and almost before we, <laughs> we, almost before we knew each other, we were married. And she said, and as, as we realized what kind of a life we were living, it was anything but heaven. We were having a horrible time. And she said, so right away, I decided we would divorce, and he decided too. And she said, while I was thinking it over, in this awful discouragement, one night, I think it was 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning, she heard a voice. It awakened her, and she almost trembled. And the voice said, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. And you know, brother, you know what happened? Instead of her taking that as a discouraging statement from Scripture, the Holy Spirit burned into her heart this thought. Oh, if you do let the Lord build a house, you will not labor in vain. And she said, the threat became a promise. And she said, that came back to me again and again. I could hardly sleep. Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Oh, Lord, you're telling me that if the Lord builds my house, I'm not laboring in vain? She said, Dear Lord, I'm going to give my heart to you. I let the meanness of professed Christians discourage me. I got my eyes off of Christ, and here I went down the drain, and I've not been happier. I've been miserable. And she said, As I surrendered my heart to the Lord, I said, Now, Lord, you, I give you the totality of my life. I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you all that I possess, all that I am, all that I ever hope to be. And the promise kept ringing in her ears. And it was like this. If the Lord builds your house, you will not labor in vain. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. She said, and I began to go to church. And then, brother, what do you suppose she found in church? As she came to church, she said, I found the people in church were not as kind and sweet as they were at the bar. She said, and, and, and the people, <clears throat> when you tell them that, that the people at the bar were, were kinder and sweeter than, than many professed Christians, there were some very sweet, but those that seemed to surround her weren't. She said, and when I suggested that the people at the bar were, were kinder than a lot of Christians, she said, you know what they hurled back into my teeth? Ha, ah, we'll tell you why they're nice. They're just trying to capture you so they can have sex. And she said, that was not true at all. She said, while the world did lead to this, that wasn't why they were kind. They wanted somebody that understood. They wanted to be accepted. Oh, you know, if we could only believe and understand, friends, that the cry of the human heart is to be accepted. The longing of the human heart is to be, is to be loved. And we love him because he first loved us. But she said, in spite of the fact that, that as I'd go to church, 
I didn't find this. For some reason, she didn't. Now, don't get the impression that Christians are all like the type she met. But it seemed that the very ones that surrounded her knew, <laughs> they knew some Bible doctrines, but they didn't know how to be nice. What do you think of that, brother? They even knew about the millennium. And the millennium doctrine is a beautiful doctrine. They knew about a thousand years, but they didn't know how to be nice today. They knew about the 70 weeks, it's, which is a wonderful prophecy, but they didn't know how to be kind this week. I say, that's a travesty. What do you say? That's a travesty. They even knew, brother, they even knew where are the dead. But they didn't know how the living in Christ should act. <laughs> they knew, brother, about the seven last plagues. But while they were talking about seven last plagues, they became a Christian plague. What a tragedy. She said, I passed through a real experience. She said, it was, it was very difficult, very difficult. But she said, I'll tell you what I'd done. I had given my heart to Jesus Christ. And I said, Lord, I will not turn back. The Christ that lived for me, the Christ that died for me, the Christ that went through all that humiliating uh, sacrifice and suffering for me, I'll not give you up. I'm going to keep looking to you from now on. Isn't that wonderful? And let me digress a moment. I have found friends in my own experience as a Christian that when people, Christian people, now don't get the impression everybody's that way, but there are a lot of professed Christian people that are, just aren't nice. And I have experienced it just as much as you have. <laughs> and don't forget it. And one time I was going through a horrible experience where it seemed that the whole group of people that I knew as Christians were anything but kind. I went up into my woods and I began to sob, a full-grown man, <laughs> or partly grown anyway. I don't know whether I've ever grown up. <laughs> and there I was sobbing and the devil said, quit the church. Quit the church. I was a minister. You know, the devil will talk to preachers too. Did you know that? Because he's a devil. And I was so discouraged and sobbing there. And then the Holy Spirit flashed this promise, this text of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 3 and 4. And it said, Consider him who bore such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. And as, I, as that was flashed into my mind by the Holy Spirit, because I don't remember that I had studied that for months, consider him who bore such contradiction of sinners, religious sinners, if you please. Consider him. Don't look at the hypocrite. Don't look at the unkind people. Look to Jesus. And as that was flashed in my mind, the Holy Spirit silhouetted against the horizon of my thinking, Jesus, there before the trial, while people were bearing his back and shredded his back. And they pierced this thorny crown into his brow and the blood trickled down. And at first, even as a minister, as I was just sort of getting the rough outline of Jesus, who was being mocked by religious people, Religious people were wagging their heads. Religious people are shooting out the tongue. 
religious people were slapping him or encouraging others to slap him. All kinds of mean things they were saying. And as I fixed my gaze on that, that Christ, that beautiful Christ, that suffering Christ, peace returned. And I, I looked up in the face of the Lord and I said, Lord, there's not one thing in this world that any professed Christian can do to me from now on that I'll ever let discourage me. I pass it on to you. Friends, this is the strength of the Christian life, looking to Jesus. No matter what professing Christians may do or say, keep looking to Jesus, the suffering Lamb of God. He'll see us through. He'll see us through. Now, uh, as uh, Monita began to come to church, she not merely experienced this coolness on the part of church members, some church members, but also her husband saw no light whatsoever. He became angry because she was taking time in church. <laughs> you know, the devil has a, a snare, a trap for every walk of life, doesn't he? And her husband tried to dissuade her from going to church. But she kept right on going. <laughs> and she became sweeter and sweeter and sweeter to him until he began to say, my, there must be something wonderful to this, to this type of religion. Her mother-in-law then became interested. And the mother-in-law would ask her questions about her faith. And you know what Monita did? Ah, it's very important. Monita told her just as little as possible about the theories. What? She didn't tell her as much as possible. She told her as little about the theories as possible, and she reflected as much as possible of the kindness of Jesus. That's what the world wants to know. Does the religion that you have make you sweeter? Does it make you kinder? Does it keep you from retaliating? Does it keep you from being sarcastic? This is the religion of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And she said, I told my mother-in-law, uh, someday maybe we'll be able to learn more about it. And she said, then one day, my mother went to an evangelistic series by a minister from my church family, and my mother said, I see now why you have this kind of religion. My mother-in-law said, this is absolutely beautiful. But the mother was attracted to her religion because she was attracted to the Christ in Monita. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. A kind, courteous Christian is the most powerful argument in behalf of Christianity. You know, there are lots of theories that are good, brother, right? Lots of good theories. You know, all the theories in the Bible are wonderful. But the world has a right to say to the Christian, I'd like to see how this theory operates in your life. Does it make you more honest than someone else? Does it make you kinder and sweeter? That's what they want to know. You know, for years, when people have come to me, brother, I've, I've bought a lot of cars through my life, you know. Every car, by the way, I've ever owned has been a miracle. <laughs> and I remember I went to, to, when my wife and I came back from, from overseas, our friends were telling us different cars to get. One said, get a Plymouth, another said, get a Chevrolet, and they all said, don't get a Ford. <laughs> so I went to see the Chevrolet, and, and the Chevrolet man in those days, they didn't know good salesmanship. The Chevrolet man went out of his way to tell how bad the Ford was. 
I went over to see the Plymouth man. He went out of his way to tell how bad the Ford was. So you know what? It aroused my curiosity. I went to see a Ford. And when I went to see the Ford man, I said, I've been to see a, the Chevrolet salesman. I've been to see the, the Plymouth salesman. What do you have to say for your car? I'll never forget what he said. He said, nothing. He said, I'll take you for a test drive. I'll show you how it performs. <laughs> he took me to the bottom of a hill. And he said, I'm going to put it in high gear. And as we go up this hill, I'll show you the power that there is in this car. And that car gained speed in high gear going up the hill. I said, man alive, this is tremendous. And you know, he didn't tell me anything about the bore of the car. When they tell me about the bore, that bores me. <laughs> you know what car I bought? I bought a Ford. And I wasn't disappointed. How does the thing operate? How does it perform? How does our Christianity perform in our home? How does it perform when people are not kind to us? Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. Monita's mother-in-law gave her heart to Jesus Christ during that series of meetings. She united with Monita's church family. Monita said, oh, I remember that promise, Lord. If the Lord builds the house, I'm not laboring in vain. She said, then Monita's, then my mother-in-law's son gave his heart to the Lord, and then his wife, and then my father-in-law. And she said, and last of all, my husband gave his heart to the Lord. She said, when I listen to God's word saying, in effect, if I let you, if you let me build a house, you're not going to labor in vain. She said, think of that. God has given me of my own family at least five individuals who have completely surrendered their hearts to Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that in the early hours of that morning, several years ago, that I heard the Lord speaking. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. She went on to tell how very, very happy she was in this experience in Jesus Christ. Friends, you and I don't have that power. Let's face it. Brother, in your life and in my life, of ourselves, we cannot reflect that kind of Christianity. Isn't that right? Of myself, I can do what? Nothing. Nothing. We may even go as far as the Apostle Paul. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. When I want to do it, I can't do it. That's Romans chapter 7, verses 14 on. Word. I, I want to do good, evil is present. So let us not be surprised when we want to do better, we make good resolutions, and we find we're not living up to them. We can't do it. We can't do it. But there's another law. It's the law of the power of Jesus Christ in the human life. And that's why Romans 8, verse 1, follows Romans 7. There is therefore no, con no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, or no disability. Jesus, Jesus in us. He says, it is God that works in you both to will and to do. I have found, friends, that when I find myself weakness itself, if I look up in the face of God and claim a promise like this, 2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given unto Glenn Coon 
exceeding great and precious promises, that by these Glenn Kuhn may be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I can say, Lord, I ask you to build in me more and more of this new nature. I believe that you're doing it. I thank you, Lord, that I'm receiving this new nature. Only as your Holy Spirit gives me this growth in Christ, can I live up to my resolutions? And when I don't find myself doing all that I would like to do, thank God that we are covered with his life, whiter than snow, fullness of his life. Then shall I know my life of scarlet, my sin and woe. He will cover with his life, whiter than snow. So we read in 2 Peter 3.18 these words, Grow in grace. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're not growing as fast as you wish you were growing, don't get discouraged. Thank the Lord he takes us right where we are. And let us never suggest to our boys and girls, behave yourself so Jesus can love you. Jesus loves our boys and girls just as they are. He loves us just as we are. And while we're growing in grace, his love is never ceasing. Aren't you glad for it? Thank the Lord for such a wonderful Savior who will never let us down. We shall many times let him down. I've taken comfort in this psalm. A righteous man falleth seven times, but the Lord holds him up. It means that to the Christian, it seems like he's failing all the while. But the Lord says, no, no, you're, as long as you keep looking to me, I'll forgive the past, I'll give you strength for the present, and whatever you fail to live up to, Jesus makes up the difference. So keep looking to me, and then I'm coming again, and I'll be able to say, you're without fault, because you're covered with Jesus. You're filled with his goodness and his love. And now it's uh, question and answer time, if we can find some answers from God's word. Pastor Kuhn says, one of our dear Christian friend's wife who has fallen will only associate with professional people. How can we, as, quote, little people, help her? What promise can we claim? <coughs> Number one, you may want to claim the promise of Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. You can ask the Lord to, in his own good time and way, as he works with the law of choice, that he will turn her mind so that she will be impressed by someone, whether professional or otherwise, who does know the Lord. You see? The, the, the most cultured people in our world, the most, quote, refined, unquote, people in the world, often are blessed by the simplest, humblest testimony of an individual. Do you remember the story of Naaman? They had taken a little servant girl from Israel, and this little servant girl said to Mrs. Naaman, oh, my, there's a prophet. He's over in Israel. I believe that if, 
if Mr. Naaman went over there, he could be healed. The servant. We have heard of individuals, highly professional individuals, whose lives have been so influenced by a servant, even. So you'll ask God, according to Proverbs 21.1, to give this person a mind that will turn towards someone who is such a beautiful, wholesome, winsome Christian that they long to be like that person. Number two, you'll ask the Lord to help you to be so kind and so humble that when you come in contact with this individual, they'll be impressed with your type of Christianity. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says, You are our epistles, known and read of all men. So the greatest witness is the living epistle today. We are the only Bible the busy world will read. We're the sinner's gospel. We're the sinner's creed. Next one. Why do you think that the woman in your story was able to win five of her relatives to Christ after her awful life when many Christians have, who've never done those horrible things never seem to win anybody? Uh, would someone here in the audience like to suggest an answer? How come, the question is, how come that this girl who had lived such a, a degraded life, as she turns to the Lord, would, uh, would, you have an, would you come up and tell us what your answer would be? And others will be thinking because we may have many phases to this answer. I believe it's because they're not truly converted or they don't have a real experience that they can point to to say that, yes, I've been converted and they can show it by the power of God in their own life that he isn't witnessing in their life and as a result they can't say by their own actions and by their own example that Christ loves them. Right. And through them, the person when they see, when this person sees the love of the Lord in them, is, is that what probably they saw in this Monita? Definitely. They saw that he was able to change her life and that he loved her. And as a result, they wanted what she had. They made, uh, she made them thirsty for Thank what she you. had. Thank you. Anyone else like to come up and with, a, with a word? I say that's a, a beautiful answer, don't you? Beautiful answer. Uh, somebody has said that Alcoholics Anonymous salvage over 85% of alcoholics and that the churches in our country salvage 2%. Doesn't that give us a message? Why is it that churches only salvage 2%? I don't know what the up-to-date percentage is. Why is it that churches salvage 2% of alcoholics and the Alcoholics Anonymous salvage 85%? Does somebody want to make a comment on that? Would you like to make a comment on that, my friend? Thank you so much. <clears throat> That's a real challenge, isn't it? I believe the uh, reason is the principle of participation. They have other alcoholics uh, tell their story and get involved. Thank you so much. Too many Christians just come and listen, don't they? And they don't participate. Thank you so much. Thank you. And is there another one that would have a word on this? Oh, 
as to why, because this is very important. Here's a girl. Here's a girl went way down the drain. When she comes back, she evidently isn't highly cultured. She evidently isn't highly educated. And yet she wins five people at least of her family. And the question that was asked, how come she does this and so few Christians win many of their own family? Uh, we've gotten a good answer. Anyone have an added thought on it? How about you, my friend back here? Would you have a thought for us? I seem to be calling on these two-story double-chested giants uh, at this time. Thank you. <clears throat> I suppose that probably the main reason that some Christians <coughs> influence others is because they reflect Christ. Others who profess to be Christians may in fact be Christians, but Christ has not experienced, or they have not had an experience with Christ yet that is able to be shown out. And until it shows out and others can see it, your witness is ineffective. Thank you so much. Isn't that excellent? Thank you. Uh, is there anyone else that would have a, a, all right, you may come again. Thank you. I believe you could add to that that there are three things, that uh, she was trusting the Lord, that uh, she didn't have her eyes on, on other people. She was depending solely upon him, mm -hmm. and that uh, she was, uh, uh, how do I put it? Uh, Humble? Well, Is that what you're going to say? No, I was thinking that uh, uh, not only did she believe him, but that she was uh, depending upon him. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, right. this, this made a, a, a real change in her life. Where right. She was truly converted where uh, many people are not, they're looking at, they're putting their trust in somebody else right. or, or like, rather than having their eyes focused just on Jesus. Would you say that maybe, maybe her experience was something like the demoniac that Jesus healed? The demoniac couldn't look at any good in his life. You know, many Christians, they say, well, I don't, uh, I pay tithe, I don't do like this poor publican. But the poor demoniac didn't have anything to praise in himself, did he? Neither did Monita. Thank you so much. Thank you. Depending completely on the Lord. Is there another thought before we come to the next question? Pastor Kuhn, one was handed in to me as you were discussing there. And it, uh, it has the, this thought that the woman had compassion for the sinner because she'd been down to the bottom herself. And uh, the question is on the bottom of this comment, why is it that so many church people lack compassion? Isn't that, isn't that a real thought? You notice, too, in the Alcoholics Anonymous, nobody, just like this person has said, no one in Alcoholics Anonymous, as I understand it, is looking down his nose at anyone else. Could it be that, uh, that in our Christian, too many of our Christian churches, there are too many of us kind of looking down a little at someone else, you know? Uh, brother, way at the end here. Thank you. I was just thinking about a story uh, about Christ when he talked to a lady uh, that was brought to him in a cotton adultery. When Christ took uh, down to write on the sand, he brought himself down to the same level as she was in that way. Not only that he's Pan down, but also he humbled himself before her and didn't accuse her. Beautiful. And that's where she 
fell in love with Christ because right. he did not look down at her, but he brought yes. himself down to the yes. Bible. And I believe this is when the church, or I mean as Christians, we will be able to do great things for the Lord and win others is when we humble ourselves down to the level of other people and look at them as mere human beings with uh, uh, hearts and minds as we are wanting to live right but to have weaknesses like we have. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Is there another question? Yes. Uh, don't you think someone should have firmly told Monita that she had no right to be bitter at the people, but that she ought to look to Jesus? I see. The question, it's evidently, as she was, as she was starting down this downward course, evidently the questioner is saying, uh, why didn't somebody just uh, say to her, listen, Monita, you ought not to look at people. You ought to look to Jesus. Why didn't somebody tell her that? Wouldn't that have helped her? Does someone have a comment over on this side? Uh, what would that have done, in your opinion, if somebody had said that to her? You shouldn't look at people. You should look at Jesus. I see uh, my good friend sitting here. She's, she's saying volumes. No. Uh, would you, would, let me come down where you are, may I? Uh, because you might be a little embarrassed to come up with me, but thank you. I, I don't believe when you should just tell the person right away, you should look at Jesus. I think you should try to go step by step with it. Beautiful. You go to the ladder. Beautiful. Right? Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, just a moment. We've we got to get this. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, look what Monita did when she was winning her family to the Lord. She didn't speak doctrine to them and tell them you should do this and you should do that if she had that mother would never have come to the Lord isn't that true just like it said in the story the mother was drawn to it because of Monita's life not because she preached doctrine thank you uh, I have said many times that a person that I feel is that we know is absenting himself from a church service you know Instead of going to that person and saying, uh, you shouldn't look at people, you should look at Jesus, I've done something that you might be interested in. I go into their home and I apologize. Will you forgive us church people for not being kind? You know, it's astonishing what happens. The world is looking to see whether we church people are proud of ourselves or whether we're proud of Jesus, right? So instead of saying, you should look to Jesus, we should act like Jesus, right? Amen. Act like Jesus. And Jesus said, confess your faults. I've gone into home after home in our travels of people who don't come to church anymore and rang the doorbell, never met them before. Will you forgive us for not being kind? And you know what? Many of them are in church next weekend. <laughs> Thank you. All right, is there another question? Uh, this questioner says, Pastor Kuhn, Perhaps uh, I'm a hard nose, but sin is still sin. And don't you think you're being just a little soft on the worldly, dancing, drinking, drug-taking crowd? Well, that's a good question to ask. You know, I like to have people who are frank enough to ask questions and, and to sort of comment, you know. Number one is this. 
How do you uphold standards? We have been in many, many churches across our country and other countries. And that question really is raised, especially when there's someone in the church that they realize is going down the drain. And I always tell them this. If you want to uphold the standards of Jesus Christ, uphold those in your life. This is the way. I've said, for instance, I've never danced in my life. I've never drunk in my life. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. My wife and I don't even drink tea and coffee. But does that make us better? Are we better than other people? No, not at all. But we are to uphold the standards of purity in our own life. That's the standard of purity. When we see the person that's going down the drain, we're to uphold the standards of compassion for them. See the difference? Instead of telling them you should straighten up, we should straighten up. We should live the pure life. Then we should have the compassion of Jesus for them, right? The, the, way, the way to live up to the, the way to, to uphold standards is for us to live the life, let Jesus live his life in us. But the thing to do for a person who is smoking and drinking and carousing and, and taking drugs is to show compassion, right? Do we have one more or two? Yes. Uh, in one of the past sessions, the question came in, how can you tell when God is speaking to you? And you mentioned that there were several ways, but you only shared one, and uh, this questioner is wondering if you would share the other ways. Yes. I started to answer that, and then, unfortunately, I, I forgot what the question was and stopped. <laughs> There's one way by which we can know that God is leading. My wife and I take this uh, quotation, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, Romans 8, 28. We watch providences. Now, and we say, now, Lord, what, do, what does this set of circumstances, what does it tell us? It, it does mean that every set of circumstances means to do this thing. For instance, a lady told us that uh, she lost her husband, and she was praying to the Lord that he'd give her a mate. And she said, an alcoholic came along, and I said, Lord, you certainly sent him. I said, no, the devil sent him. <laughs> if, <laughs> maybe the devil didn't send him. Maybe the Lord let him come so you'd reflect the love of Jesus. But not, the Lord didn't send him to be your husband. Don't grab the first thing that comes along saying this is providence. We watch carefully the, the turning of events, very carefully. We watch events and we say, Lord, what is your message to us in these events? And we watch providence, we study providence. You'd be surprised. Our team would tell you how carefully we study events. Now, what is your message to us in these circumstances? You still ask God for wisdom. That's one way. He also leads us through the scriptures. And no set of circumstances that takes place are ever to cause us to do something that's contrary to the word of God, right? The word of God is our guide. Second, Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable not merely for doctrine and correction, but instruction in righteousness. That's a guide. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished to all good works. So we're guided by, by providences, but number two, the providences, we must not accept providences as giving us the right to disobey God's word. The third is the Holy Spirit. And the fourth that we use a great deal, and it's a sort of a combination of the others, we claim the promise for wisdom. And as we claim a promise for wisdom, 
we say, Lord, we ask you to give us wisdom to know what to do at this time. We believe you're giving us wisdom. We thank you for giving us this wisdom. Now, if you're in a real bind to know what to do, you may want to take a sheet, an eight and a half by 11 sheet, draw a line down through the center, put for on one side and against on the other. For instance, Lord, shall I do this or shall I do this? Put for on one side and against. Put everything you can think of that's for doing it, everything you can think of against doing it. Give each item a weight of one to 10 points. Keep studying it over and saying, well, let's see, I gave this, this side, I gave this point, this thought, 10 points, and I gave this five, but this is more important than this. So you keep switching and balancing these points until anything that has more points than the other is more important. When you get through, you check, you total, and you make a decision. My wife and I, many years ago, were invited to, to accept a call to a church of about 16 or 1,700 members. I then was pastor of a church of about 250 members. But more than this, the call was to a mission field where my wife and I had always, we'd labored for years in a mission field, and the thought of being missionaries impressed us. We both said, we better go. I said, wait a minute, let's draw a line. Let's put everything for going on one side, everything against on the other. We prayed for the, to the Lord for wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom now, so we'll not put it down on, from the angle of what we think we should do, but what you think we should do. Do like George Mueller. He said he never made a decision until as he, he usually had an open Bible. And he said until he had no will of his own, then he was open to God's leading. When we got through with that for and against, for every reason for going, we had a bigger reason for staying. It, it keeps us from going in circles with decisions. Thank you. And uh, the last question says, should we take a man to court that has wronged us, and even though we go and quietly try to reason with him, he refuses to right the wrong? Do we have a responsibility to abide within the law, both biblical and modern, and bring this man to the conviction that he has sinned? we don't have a responsibility. That is, it is not our duty necessarily to take every man who has wronged us to court. But we do have the privilege, if he's not a member of the church family, as it mentions there, we have a perfect right. That's what the civil courts are for. But let me make this suggestion. If you know of a person who has been wronged, maybe stolen from by someone, and he takes that man to court, there's one thing that he should be very careful to do. Keep his cool. Be kind and sweet. Let this man know I'm doing it for the good it'll be to you. Because Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 11 says, unless sentence against an evil work is executed speedily, it's fully set in men's hearts to do evil. Part of the love of God is discipline. You have every right in the world to take this man before the civil court, every right in the world. It may not be wise to do it under all circumstances. And let's never forget that forgiveness is always possible. And forgiveness is an important thing. But you have every right from the word of God to let the civil court make the decision. But you see, if you take the attitude toward this man, I'm doing this to help you to realize that obedience is important. And be sweet and kind and not mean 
it may be used of the Lord to teach him an important lesson. If he's a member of the same church family, then you don't take him to court. The Bible very explicitly says we are not to do this. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.